Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. By Riverside. Welcome back to episode 117 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dan Galati. As you can tell, the voice has a little bit of raspiness in, in it. Uh, it's post-hot shower at night, so we're, we're post-probably bedtime, but we wanted to, to get some games in on this fine Monday night. And Dan, the first question I'll start with you is, is probably the biggest news from the weekend. Did you hear about Kelvin Kiptum's marathon in the Chicago Marathon? Is he the one who just set the new pace? Yeah, in things that blew my mind this morning at work was running a marathon in two hours and 35 seconds with 436 splits for 26.2 miles for things on the bingo card of things I never never thought would happen in my lifetime. What's crazy is this happens every few years now, and every time it happens, I don't think it's going to happen again. At some point, I guess I'll learn that it's going to continue to happen. But that's one of the more incredible athletic feats ever, ever. This it, is if somebody six for twenty six and I change. couldn't do that with with my life on the line. And you told me to go out and run a four thirty six mile. I still don't think I could. No, and I'm not physically in bad shape for one mile. I don't physically think I could complete it in under four minutes and 40 seconds. And also, I read a book a couple years back. Um, I believe it was Endure, uh, which is a really good book that that talks about endurance running um, and how like genetics go into it and where you live and, and kind of blood cell count and just all these things like that. But basically the gist of it was the kind of the conclusion was that nobody in our lifetime was going to break the two hour marathon, like just physically didn't seem possible. Um, and this book was probably written in 2018, 2019. And 
it's funny how, cause remember we always used to talk about the four minute, well, not we, but as a society, we used to talk about the four minute mile never be broken. And, and now it's just consistently being run. And it's just, that blew my mind today. And I felt like it was just, I just had to get that off my chest early in this podcast that I, th- I mean, 36 seconds in, in marathon time is a very, 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 very long time, even though it doesn't seem it's like all he has to do is knock off a second per mile. It's like, yeah, I mean, in theory, you're accurate, but it's still, I mean, he, he scorched the previous record with, but by beating it by 16 seconds, which is crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was in the news for things that blew my mind today at work. And I, I felt like it was necessary to share. How many tenths of a mile could you run that pace at? How many tenths of one mile could you run at that pace? Hmm. I think I could get around a track one time comfortably That's right. well, at that, which is yeah, what, so how many a quarter of a mile, quarter of a mile. Okay. So about. I, I was going to say point two. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. One time, a 400 meter run at yeah. that pace at the, that's probably not too harsh. 800 i mean they say that 800 is the hardest thing to do because it's the combination of speed and And sprinting and endurance it's basically a half mile sprint that these people will go out there and boogie under and and that's you know i don't don't know if i could push that i don't even think i'm gonna take that back i don't think i could do two tenths at that pace i think i could do one tenth of a mile at that pace yeah i think you'd be surprised like I mean, I think I'll do, I, it. I'll do it on the treadmill at the gym. What's, what's the speed got to be on the 13 treadmill? miles per hour. I'll try it. Yeah. And I'll let I think you know. it'd be I'm safer. Have no hamstrings. It would be safer to try it on a real track. Like a track. Maybe head over to apex high school and try it out. But sure. If you want to try yeah. it out on the treadmill at the gym and ramp up 13 and God forbid you stumble over your feet and end up head first in the wall at the, at the any time fitness. <laughs> That's up to you. Uh, but in other news, in the, in the real thing that we talk about in this podcast, and it's not impressive athletic Olympic feats, it's impressive athletic feats on the baseball field. Uh, obviously, as a lot has happened, we're coming to you here on a Monday night with this episode coming out on Tuesday. As it currently sits right now, Arizona is up early. Tell me if you've heard that again on the Dodgers um, in game two of the series. We just concluded, and I mean, we haven't even texted since it ended because we both just hopped right on here, clicked record, and got after it. The Philadelphia and Atlanta game two, that was just an absolute thriller that will definitely break down. Last night, Minnesota took game two against Houston to go back to Minnesota with a 1-1 series tie. And Texas took a commanding 2-0 series lead on the Orioles. Uh, Obviously, they're heading back to Arlington to play, I believe it is, Wednesday do series pick back up again. I know I saw it on the TBS uh, broadcast today. So Dan, obviously it's been a lot of baseball as it stands right now. We're two games in through three of the four series. What are your kind of initial thoughts before we kind of peg down on any individual series? Well, I'm torn. I don't really know how to feel right now because you have one series 2-0, one that's one nothing still being played. You have two that are 1-1. So I'm not sure, and I'm going to have to phone my good friend Ken Rosenthal to see where we stand on whether or not life is fair or not. Now, the Braves won tonight, so hopefully Dave O'Brien and Ken Rosenthal are tucked up in their beds in their onesies, sucking their thumb with their blankies like the little babies they are. And I would like to call them other things, but this podcast is rated clean. 
so I don't know. I don't know how to, to I don't really know how to sum it up right now because I thought, you know, if that Phillies game held true, I was gonna come on here and talk about how the playoffs need to change. The top two teams, we need to go back to the system where the top two teams in each league just meet in the World Series. We skip all these other rounds. It's completely unfair to make a team get home field advantage and not have to play an entire extra round while the team they're going to face has to burn their one and two starting pitchers in the first two games. We should at least give them an extra game, I think. They should start the Series 1-0. I think this Atlanta Series should be 2-1. The Houston Series should be 2-1. The Diamondbacks and Dodgers should be 1-1. Baltimore should be heading to Texas. Maybe we'll give them two or three games next year and we'll just skip it. I don't really know. Um, That's up to you, but – that's all I got. <laughs> Dang, we're coming out hot and heavy. We're six minutes into this, seven minutes into this. Well, I did not think we were getting there. You, the 104 right win best team in baseball history that I have to hear about loses one game, and their fan base, their beat writer, and a national beat writer have spent the two off days crying and complaining that there's too much rest and it's an unfair advantage for the team who skips an entire round. Not to mention, this is an Atlanta Braves franchise that in my entire lifetime has won about 34 division titles with two measly World Series, has lost in the DS time and time. Maybe your franchise is a choke. You have a star player who's a front runner. I watched him through the first seven innings of this game mope around because he was hitless and his team was getting no hit in right field, not going hard after balls. And then as soon as they get one base runner on, he's having fun again. Maybe pay some guys who play better, maybe have a manager who doesn't, I don't know, bungle things up and make excuses. We're sitting here through the entire first part of this game two of the DS when the Phillies are beating the Braves, and all I'm hearing about is Max Fried's blister. He needs a blankie and a boo-boo too. It's ridiculous. I don't understand it. Not to mention last year the Houston Astros, who won 106 games, didn't lose a game until game one of the World Series. So instead of complaining about the format, Ken Rosenthal and Dave O'Brien and all you Atlanta Braves loser fans who are doing the tomahawk chop on Indigenous People Day in your stadium like the racist that you are, how about you just learn how to win or just say we're an inferior franchise instead of making excuses? And I said it all day to my brother, the most logical thing that's going to happen is the Braves are going to rattle off three in a row because they're a good team. And they outplayed the Phillies today because they're a good team. And I have more belief as a Phillies fan in their team than their fan base, the beat writers, and the national media does, apparently. So, yeah, I'm coming out a little bit hot today. I apologize. But that's just how I'm feeling. I had to sit here all day and read. Ken Rosenthal should take his think pieces and shove them up his ass. I'm so sick and tired of reading them. It's um, I had to listen to him tell me that I should feel sorry for the Astros last year after cheating in 2017. I had to hear him tell the Philadelphia fans that firing Joe Girardi wasn't going to fix the problems in Philly. They went on to win the National League last year. I then had to read this summer about how Philly's fans have gone soft for giving a standing ovation to Trey Turner. Now today I'm sitting here reading about how the playoffs are unfair. Unfair? That's what playoff base be better, win games. Dodgers, you too, Dodgers fans. You don't have starting pitching. Like the dime, credit to the Diamondbacks don't really either. Merrill Kelly isn't a, really an ace in this league. You, Sorry, the guy who's been historically great for you blew up in the first inning of your first playoff game this year, and you guys couldn't recover. Be better, Dodgers. I don't know. You're the same deal with the Dodgers. Like, I'm. Don't win as many games. 
get in the wild card, burn your best two pitchers in the wild card series, and then go on the road in the DS if you think it's so much easier. I mean, this is why baseball sucks right now. Baseball, you want to know why baseball sucks? Baseball sucks not because of analytics. Baseball doesn't suck because people try and throw hard and hit homers. Baseball didn't suck because the games didn't take so long and people weren't stealing baseball. Baseball sucks because the people who are trotted out in front of us on a nightly basis in the national media do nothing. John Smoltz, Ken Rosenthal, the whole fair territory, foul territory, whatever their stupid show is called, sit there and bitch and moan about how baseball is being played instead of celebrating it and appreciating it for the good it is. You're going to read all tomorrow about what a historic and unbelievably exciting game that was in Atlanta tonight after they spent two days bitching and moaning about the fairness of the playoffs. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think that baseball needs to understand that they're they're picking and choosing between a model that you can either create and find the best teams of the, you know, you play 162. This is not a 12-game sprint. This is not an 18-game Delaware high school season. This is a 162-game season. And every time we increase the teams that we allow in the playoffs and shorten series, we're creating a lack of the best team might not win every year. The best team might not win. And small things that might change, momentum might change. Anything that you want to say are dictated in those small series. If we wanted the best team to win, we should play. Get rid of the playoffs. Yeah, get rid of the playoffs, A, but we should cut the season off in August. We should play 21-game series to find out exactly which team is better and put it all on a neutral playing field and be able to play those games. Baseball sold out for the dollars. Baseball sold out for the TV eyes. Baseball sold out for all these things because playoff baseball is all that people come to watch. And every time we add more games, we added two more wild card games, hypothetically, and most of them obviously have not gone three games, but we just add two wild card games. What does that create? More ad revenue, more TV time, more eyes on TVs, more money for Major League Baseball, more money for ownership, which means more money for players. Everybody's happy. Everybody's great and grand. But we can't then sit there and say, well, this doesn't provide us with the best team. We played 162. We know who the best team is. It's the freaking Atlanta Braves. They have the best roster. They have the best team through 162. But the playoffs are not built to figure out who the best team is not every year. We've seen it time and time again. The Braves won the World Series when they obviously weren't the best team in 2021. Like that team took advantage of, yeah, exactly. That team took advantage of a system that has been created that allows for teams that are playing the best baseball at the right time to win. Again, my biggest complaint with all of this, if we're going to increase the wild card series, having it go to a five game divisional round is where it, it kind of loses me. Right. Because again, as you saw with the Braves today, luckily they were able to work through these things and end up coming out on top with a huge homer from Austin Riley. But the combination of losing a week of obviously game like at bats combined with then getting shut out in game one or dominating game one, however you want to say it, obviously you're not performing to your capabilities, just pressure, right? Just pressing, right? When it's a five game series, the second you're down for nothing in the fifth inning today, Zach Wheeler's twirling a no hitter. And you feel like you guys couldn't score a run if your life depended on it. 
the pressure of that because a five game series is so short. But again, that's not, that's just my own little nitpicking of it of like, I could see how the five game series is a little bit shorter. I've never really liked the five game series, but I'm also a nationals fan who for like the first five years that they made the playoffs, they lost in five game series as the better team. The majority of those times, because again, you feel the pressure and those things combined. But again, that's what creates fun playoff baseball. It's what creates fun playoff sports is that it's not always predictable. If you want it predictable, we can have these teams provide their best MLB the show player, and they could play a video game, and it'd be fun and be predictable, and it wouldn't be the drama that comes with playoff baseball and what it is today. Or the Orioles and the Braves should be playing game two of the World Series tonight. Go back to the old format if that's what you want. Go back to the old format where the best team in the National League and the best team in the American League go right to the World Series at the end of the season. They play their seven-game series. We crown a World Series champion, and we go home for the, for the winter. That's fine if that's what you want to do. But then don't come April, all you say people roll around and talk about how it's your – or March, talk about how it's your favorite – three weeks of the year when March yeah. Madness rolls around because the college of Charleston <laughs> isn't better than the university of Virginia at college basketball guarantee you that. But guess what? They beat them this year in the tournament and Virginia went home and college of Charleston. We celebrated them. We trotted a 98 yep. year old lady out onto the court every two minutes mm-hmm. in front of the cameras. When Loyola Chicago went on that run a couple years ago, and we talked about how it's the best time of year. This happens. It's sports. They're professional players. Yeah, they feel pressure. If you want to make it a seven-game series, I'm all for that. More playoff baseball. I love that. That Yes, feed me that every day of the week. If you want to make them all seven-game series or best of three into a seven-game DS, I'm cool with that. Yeah, but that's no, what I'm thinking. The, the fact that we're just going to cry and cater. The Phillies won 102 games in 2011. And they didn't win in the DS. They got beat by the Cardinals. I didn't see any think pieces from Ken Rosenthal then. I didn't see any think pieces from anybody. Win the games. Like, win the games. That's the whole point. of We're playing a sport. We are. This is, this is what it's all about. It's about being competitive. You are an athlete. Like you said, this isn't predictive to see which front office put the best talent together on paper. We wouldn't play the games. You wouldn't play the 162. You wouldn't play 162, yeah, right? What's the point? Right. What's the and 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 we've I've said this all year when we've talked about during regular season, I think I said it last postseason. There's something to be said about being a terrific 162 game team. There's no shame in that. That's fantastic to to cuz then you get a shot, but there's also something to be said about being able to build a postseason roster and win at that time of year. It's two different things. It's two different things. So Atlanta, if you don't like it, then your front office should build a better roster to compete in the postseason. Mind you, we were having this conversation after one game. One game. I thought it was disrespectful that we're talking about this 104-win historic offense that's been one of the best teams I've witnessed in my lifetime not being able to win three of four. If you're 14 games better than the Phillies, then you should be able to win three of four in this series. And look what happened tonight. There you go. You were the better team than the Phillies tonight because the Phillies, who got nine hits and six walks, could only score four runs and couldn't put you away. They left you in the game. You end the game with four hits and one walk, and you score five runs. Boom. Congratulations. So all you people who I saw complaining and writing articles and being children about it should go home. Like that – that's what's got me so – of course I'm upset that the Phillies lost this game because it's a game they should have won. I am a Phillies fan through and through. 
But I am sick and tired, and I, I, I used to not say this because I was a Philadelphia fan, and I am biased, but I am so – Philadelphia fans are the best fans in the world. I've, I, after being a part of this enough and seeing enough, there is no fan – because Philadelphia actually takes losing and complains about their team. Because right now I probably sound like uh, a sore loser, and I'll take that me, on the Yankee chin. Yankee fans do the same Yankee thing. Yankee fans do too. Yeah, Yankee fans do the same thing as well. But, like – the Phillies didn't lose tonight because of some unfair rule. Austin Riley should have to hit the ball with two hands on the bat. By the way, insane. He hit that homer with only his left hand on the bat. Really bad pitch by Jeff Hoffman. Like the, the Phillies lost the game because they not really, but they gave the Braves. I thought it was a spinning slider in the middle of a play. It was a spinning really slider, that. but he was Austin Riley was sitting fastball because he hasn't caught up to yeah, one. If that's it was down, just he a phenomenal job of hitting. It yes, was just and a he hit it one-handed. Like on a bad the fact that he held but, his posture and stayed through that baseball enough to not only make barrel contact with it, but strong enough to hit it. Fair. Let me. Um, I I'm I'm with Last you on thing. the Philly fans. If the, the Philly if fans, the layoff, yeah. if the layoff sucks so bad, then Jordan Alvarez is my MVP of the season. He's three homers in two games after having a week off, which apparently is the hardest thing in the world to do. He's three homers in two games. So he's better than everyone who's ever touched a bat or a ball for the Braves in the history of baseball. You could argue Jordan Alvarez is one of the best. And Ronald Acuna is a joke because he has no hits in this this series and he mopes around like a little baby when things don't go his way. I'm out on Ronald Um, Acuna too. Go ahead. I'm going to give, I'm going to, I will say like, there's no excuse to it because it's, it's, the circumstance, like you said, like I think Buster only, who I'm, I don't agree with historically, he replied back to somebody saying, which Buster only does reply to people on Twitter. He has replied to our Twitter account as well. <laughs> um, but um, he did say, well, why don't we give the divin- division winners the option? They could play in the wild card round if they'd like. You get My the choice. Own- Instead of getting automatic buy, if you think the buy impacts your season that much, Go play the wild card round and see how how it works for you, right? And I think that's plain and simple. Just the conclusion that we need to come to is like no team, Astros, Orioles, Braves, Dodgers, would take the opportunity to play more baseball, to risk not getting into the division series instead of resting up, setting their pitching up to play that team that's now going to be potentially more banged up facing their number three and number four, whatever it ends up being, no team is going to turn that down. Um, so that that's kind of self-explanatory for what it is. But one of the things that you brought up um, in your original rant um, was talking about talking heads of Major League Baseball. And it's something that I've we've talked about it way too many times. We talk about it th- – and now I'm going to get hot, all right? Because so this is going to be one of these these podcasts. I think I'm going to be able to hold it together and keep this going. But we have this conversation every single October because what are we go- transitioning from where we have our lovable local announcers that just genuinely love the team and are very positive and spirited and actually enjoy the game of baseball. And then we step in front of a national stage and the national media types take over the game of baseball that we love and proceed to default negative on every single part of the game of baseball. And it never ceases to frustrate me. That is the reason people like John Smoltz, people like AJ Perzinski, people like that, that sit up there and 
just degrade baseball players and degrade the game of baseball for what it is, is why people that love the game refuse to watch these games, right? There's a reason why everybody loves Mark DeRosa so much. It's because he's probably a Braves fan, but I guarantee he sits on MLB Central if the Phillies go up 2 nothing and loves the Phillies just as much and loves JT Romuto through for hitting that bomb to right center field and how good of a swing that was and all this great things that Rob Thompson does instead of sitting there and complaining about the circumstances of why the game is not up to the standard that he envisions it to be or back in my day. And there's two specific things that were said on the broadcast. Jeff Francoeur today, I mean, I get it came from Rob Thompson I get it came from Rob Thompson talking about Zach Wheeler's sweeper. I don't even care where you fall on the sweeper versus slurve thing, but the whole fact that it creates a debate shows exactly what's wrong with our baseball community. So that was going on on the broadcast today. Why does it matter? It gets swing and misses. Who cares? Oh, well, sweepers have been wrong for forever. It was just a slurve at that point in time. Whatever. One tweet. That came out. This was a quote from AJ Pruszynski, um, who is just lucky enough to be calling the Fox um, games in, in Houston right now. Analytics people say when you bunt, your run expectancy goes down. But you know it what does. goes up? Your win expectancy. That's a genius tweet there, buddy. He, he said that. That's a genius tweet. He said that. Word for word, he's on the broadcast. He said that word for word on a national broadcast talking about baseball. Tell me you don't understand analytics without telling me you don't understand analytics. We will sit here every year, and I made the joke about A-Rod when talking about his point about Vlad. There is a reason 30 MLB teams are calling A.J. Pruszynski right now, asking him to be in his front office and, and retire from his foul territory job. Every offseason, this is going to happen, and he's going to have to turn them down, right? They're not, and that's complete sarcasm for anybody who didn't pick up on that. The other one that came out is lovely John Smoltz, who's calling the Texas Rangers Baltimore Orioles series. Analytics says the scoreboard doesn't matter. That's it. Again, Tell me because analytics analytics doesn't want you to win games. Yes, that's exactly Mm -hmm. what those people in the front offices that get paid by those organizations sit there and go. We're going to try not to win games. Yeah, we're going to do what's necessary to not win games, to lose games. And and as I sat there and read those and thought about those (laughs) statements that were both made, I started to think about what it was must be like to be in these interviews for these jobs to do these things, to be a a color commentator on a national broadcast in the most important games of the year. What do they, what does Fox let you do? Just walk in there and spew some stupid, not what's your opinion on analytics? And they go, Oh, well I actually hate it because it's stupid. And they go, the job's yours. We literally sit there and we just discredit everything about the game of baseball in the MLB today. And it's the national talking heads that do it. The fact that ESPN brought on David Cohn was phenomenal. David, We need more David Cohns on the broadcast. We need more Chipper Jones on the broadcast and less of these buffoons that I don't even know how or why they're getting these opportunities to talk in these national games and why they continue to hire them. I guess maybe because it generates attention. I don't know. Maybe it's not all created equal in, in the world of positive attention versus negative attention, but it's just infuriating to sit here and have to listen to these people talk about 
when you when you bunt, your run expectancy goes down, and Brady's pissed as John Smoltz just as I am, and your run expectancy goes down. But you know what goes up? Your win expectancy. Was that sarcasm? Was that supposed to be a joke, or were you serious? Because if you're not scoring runs, you're not winning. Like that's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard or read. And then not to mention on the other side of that, you have John Smoltz saying that analytics don't care about the scoreboard. And I text you this. I said the quote in theory probably is not wrong, right? It's yeah, probably I hate how not- your brain works, by the way, because you're giving well, yeah, him the benefit of the doubt he no, doesn't I'm, deserve. <laughs> I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt of the fact that he knows no better and he's stupid, right? Because in an analytical world, we understand we are trying to create a process that's going to create the smallest margin of error. Right? right, plain and simple. How can we build a roster that loses the least amount of games of possible? How can we build a roster that has the least amount of flaws? What is the process to creating that? It's not necessarily, oh, right, like um, Jerry Depoto gets flamed for saying they want to win 50. But again, the process is build a team around a 54 to 60% winner and hope that consistently they play good baseball at the right time and you win more baseball games than that, right? That's plain and simple. How can we create a process? It's the same people that value exit velocity over batting average, right? Exit velocity is going to create more hits over the long term than the guy who has a hot April. So in theory, what he's saying might have been presented to him accurately as saying, hey, as an analytics department, we don't necessarily care what the scoreboard says at the end of the day. Because if we have seven balls hit, we have seven balls in play at 110 plus that all fall for outs and we get one hit in our mind. That's not a bad process. That's a pretty darn good process. Or if we have seven bleeders that fall in that score, end up scoring four runs, we win the game four three. Maybe this isn't sustainable over a 162. So again, the process says that the scoreboard is lying to the, to the everyday fan or to the box score, but to say that in a negative way and not be able to explain yourself properly it's just embarrassing that the MLB lets these people sit up there and talk. They hate the game of baseball, and they're trotted out there as the voice of the most important baseball games of the season. It is such a failure and a flop by Major League Baseball. You make all these rule changes to grow the game and try and attract new viewers and the younger viewer, and then you trot people out there who constantly pull their pants down, and take a leak on the sport that they're announcing in the most important and most seen games of the year. It is baffling to me how Major League Baseball doesn't go to these networks and say, you have to find someone new. Because to your point exactly, Mark DeRosa, who I'm sure just doesn't want to do it, and that's why he doesn't, because he's going to stay on MLB Central, and MLB Network's going to pay him handsomely to do it. But like People like Mark DeRosa would be fantastic to have up there being able to explain it and bridge it. And I'm not saying you need to be an analytical mind to understand it, but you, no. you you can at least have someone in the booth who can bridge the gap and be able to translate to the people what is happening on the field and why the game is great and special right now. What you're seeing – like. MLB, it was awesome. I remember I was in college one year, and MLB ran a promo um, – you know, it was a commercial for the upcoming season of spring training was breaking. And, you know, it was a montage of, of the guys in camp and stuff and, and, you know, clips of people talking. And Buck Showalter is on the clip saying, these are the good old days. 
because the game was at such a good place, you know, like because the talent on the field, you know, this was peak Mike Trout and like when 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 he was doing what he was doing and because the analytical turn had taken such a drive and guys were throwing a billion miles an hour off the mound and dom- with dominating stuff and guys were hitting the long ball and being able to be dynamic offensively. And then you have these crotchety old men who sit there and don't understand it. And I don't know if they're embarrassed because it makes them feel inferior because they're not smart enough to understand it. If they're too lazy to understand it, or if they can't, if John Smoltz can't close the yearbook on his stupid career, that doesn't matter anymore. That's exactly what it is. Yep. And Jeff, for Jeff Frank Cordes, one, I agree the sweeper slider debate, which like I have an opinion on it, but I don't ever get into the debate because call it, a left-hand turner. I yeah. don't care. Yeah. <laughs> For Jeffrey Corner to sit there and be upset. My, we've always had the sweeper. What do you mean? These guys aren't better than the guys that I faced and hit 220 in my career. Yes, which exactly. I'm not, That's I don't mean what to it do. is. And that I, I could have done better. Is. And I couldn't have, I'm not saying I could have hit better. Jeffrey Corner, much better baseball player than I ever was or ever could have dreamed to be. No doubt about it. But for you to sit – like to me, that's how that comes off. It's I'm is insecure what it is. Yep. about my career because these guys are better. It's so stupid. Dennis Eckersley did it a couple years ago on the Red Sox broadcast. He went on a rant about it. And it's like – it's inferior. And I love any t- – I mean if anybody hasn't – if anybody's looking for an old time – which I can't say this because I don't think this guy's a good person just from stories of the clubhouse of some of the antics he did. But like – if anyone wants to see an old timer who gets that the game is different and it, it made me so happy and it not, not enough eyes got on the interview because it's just, I don't, I don't know how big it is. I don't know why, but I just don't think enough eyes got on it, but everyone loves to compare pitchers to Greg Maddox and Greg Maddox sat down with pitching ninja and was great. And just basically talked about how much better, like he mentioned how much better guys are nowadays and how, you know, he's a guy that so many people who reference him would be so heartbroken if they sat down and had a conversation about today's baseball with them. They would have their lives ripped out. I mean, I saw Brent Rooker, who's been great on Twitter since the season ended, the Oakland A's outfielder, who's just been fighting the good fight with all these crazy people all off season, like since his season ended it's 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 beyond frustrating it is beyond frustrating as a baseball fan and someone who loves the game and can understand that the game grows and no one no one is trying to to lose games no one's no analytical anyone is they wouldn't have have, jobs (laughs) they would get fired we see them get fired every year it's and they it's a cutthroat industry and the Houston Astros wouldn't consistently just death star themselves into the World Series if it didn't work. Like it's so funny because it's like every. I feel like sometimes I just picture like the people in Houston just sit back and laugh and go, "Ha ha ha!" They're still arguing whether analytics work or not. No one's paying attention to us. We're gonna be we're gonna be in the World Series again, guys. Get the champagne ready <laughs> every year, and it's like, and then it's every time something goes wrong, it's analytics fault. It, it, every single time, John Schneider makes an idiotic decision that we didn't even really dive into as much of a debate as it was. And everybody's like, oh, analytics need to let the manager make the decision. And then basically Ross Atkins comes out and says, nope, that was his meetings. That was his decision. And it didn't work. And then Rob Thompson does it literally 
two days, three days, four days later, whatever it is. And everybody, all I see coming up. What a genius. Exactly. All I see is all these article and think pieces and people on Twitter talking about how smart he was. And then on the opposite end, Zach Wheeler hangs in for the third time through the order because he's an ace. And analytics will tell you that as long as this stuff can stay elite through the third time order, as long as your stuff is better than the reliever that's going to come in and replace you, you should still be out there pitching. Fair. 100% fair. Very rarely can one guy go three times through the order better than one reliever who throws high-octane stuff can go one inning. But again, we're going to sit here and argue simplest way because it's not its not how the game should be. It's about feel. It's about the thinking and, and having a pulse for the game. And Zach Wheeler gives up a home run to Travis Darnell. Third time through the order. Travis Darnell had a game plan, sitting first pitch slaughter. It's a home run. But that's not analytics fault. Slur. Sorry. I said slider, so I went back to the OG (laughs) one. Um, But nobody sits there and says, well, maybe Rob Thompson shouldn't have had had such a feel for the game. Maybe Rob Thompson shouldn't have trusted his guy. And that's my frustration is there's a balance in all of this, right? There's a balance in the fact that you have to know what kind of balls the pitcher has that's coming out of the bullpen to be able to handle a situation. You got to have the the pulse of the fact of how well-rested your bullpen is. How does Zach Wheeler feel? How has Zach Wheeler felt for the last inning? What's the communication level? On top of what's the data telling you? What's the data saying that is he fading? Right? Is he fading to the point of this? Is he historically a bad third time through the order guy? What does the data tell you combined with what your gut feeling tells you? And again, what does the in game data tell you to combine to make that decision as best as possible? And again, when everything goes right, it's a smart manager. It's a smart human. When everything goes wrong, it's the stupid nerd in a in a suit and tie and computers fault. And again, I think what's so nice about what we're able to do is we sit here as people that are baseball guys. We're coaches. We're coaches and we played the game through college and through the years. And we can sit here and say, no, analytics works. And you talk to not a, a lot of players. There are players that don't like it, but you talk to a lot of players. As you mentioned, as we were speaking, I sent it to you. Um, Brent Rooker's been great on Twitter. Somebody asked, what metrics do you use to evaluate evaluate yourself as a player? You want to know what he says? Barrel percentage. Unbelievable. Hard hit percentage. Chase percentage. And here's the kicker, Yankee fans. And expected stats. I know a lot of people aren't going to like that answer, but those numbers are indicative of how how well I'm doing in the areas that I can control. Is he a nerd? Is he I a mean, suit and tie type? Is he an Ivy League type? No, he's a guy who's making himself a living in the big leagues. And is he perfect? No, he's not Mike Trout. He's not going to go be a Hall of Famer. But he had himself a pretty darn good year hitting 30 bombs for, for a really bad team. And he uses those stats to evaluate yourself. But the nerds that do it are the ones that are wrong and what are ruining baseball. No, the people that are ruining baseball, quite frankly, are the people that stand there and fight and can't open their mind to the fact that maybe, maybe just maybe there is a different way than how you did it that made you successful. And there is a middle ground. What worked for them definitely worked for a certain reason. 
What works for these guys, what works for Brent Rooker, definitely works for a certain reason. If you can combine both, and if you can be the coach that's the chameleon, the player development type that's the chameleon, you can be the analytics type, right? These suit and tie Ivy League guys that are the chameleon, which newsflash to everybody out there who wants to fight their front office executives. Most of them that are in that position are. Most of the analytics guys are asking the player development guys, hey, what do you mean by feel? What does that mean? I don't understand that. I never played baseball. Most organizations have pretty good communication from that standpoint. It's just, it sucks. It sucks that we have to turn on playoff baseball. And it's again, the, the kicker for me and why I stopped paying attention to these as much was in 2019, the Nationals playoff run. I was obviously dialed into every game. Josh Hader comes in and he's throwing high spin heaters above, well, not high spin, high vert heaters above the zone and guys are swinging at them at at their eyes. And sitting on the broadcast talking about the game, John Smoltz, shocker, talks about how the, or actually, no, it was in the World Series with Garrett Cole. That's what it was. World Series with Garrett Cole of how the, the Nationals can't swing at fastballs above their hands. They need to lay off. They need to lay off. They need to lay off. Maybe we should educate our fans and baseball fans across the country and say the reason why the Nationals are swinging at pitches above their hands is because Garrett Cole does a unique thing of getting high vertical movement on his fastball that allows deception to the hitter to not see the pitch all the way through and they chase at balls that are above the zone for strikes that would educate baseball fans everywhere and show analytics in a positive light if you even want to call that analytics i just think that's common sense but whatever um but again instead of highlighting it in such a negative way if we could get people to get up there and actually speak about it positively and educate baseball fans our game would be in so much better hands, but it's just not. Who, who's going to be the most? Let me ask you this: Who's going to be the most sought-after manager this year? In the offseason? Uh, Craig Council, Gabe Kapler will probably be up there too. Craig, Craig Council, not Buck Showalter. Craig Council is going to be the most sought-after <laughs> yeah. manager in baseball. So, you want to yell at people like me and you who only played in college and had little rinky-dink careers? Fine. You want to yell at all the executives who are looking for a manager this all season and are going to do everything they can to try and lure. And you know, you know who else's name I, I heard floated for the Cleveland to fill no. in, to take Terry Frank Kevin Cash. Kevin Cash. Yeah, I don't know those people. You want to you want to argue with those people? Those decision makers? Then people like John Smoltz, people uh, abundant people on Twitter who had the same baseball career as me or slightly better looking at you one ex big leaguer who I'm not going to give your name a shout out on here who's just the worst person in the world like I just don't get it I mean it yeah I it, it's infuriating and it, it it's every year I mean I don't know when it's ever going to end every year it's never going to end it's never going to end and we're going to continue to not only push people the everyday fan away from the game of baseball because it's not enjoy the amount of people that have and I get everybody complains about announcers and I don't think announcers are always as bad as they're painted no. right in the majority of sports right but the amount of baseball fans that genuinely cannot listen to the broadcast because it is so negative is a black eye on major league baseball 
that is what is going to be the demise of the sport. And we had such a good opportunity with the pitch clock and the new rules to create momentum of the future of baseball. But we continue to freaking put these people out there that A, know nothing. And just because they have a back of a baseball card and they have a name that people recognize, we think they deserve a platform. We continue to shove these people out there and not give enough credit to people that might actually be knowledgeable about the game. And it's just, ter- it's, it's terrible. It's frustrating and it does not make for enjoyable viewing experiences. And for somebody like me who has no horse in the race, it's just to the point of I'm going to find something better to do with my day right. at that point. I'm going to pick up a book. I'm going to do something better in my life because I can go back. I can watch MLB Central the morning after and I can read a box score and tell you pretty much everything I need to know about what happened without having to listen to John Smoltz freaking spew nonsense about the game of baseball. And I think that and, – and baseball has one of the best things going during the regular season. I think like how many – how much has Sunday night baseball fallen off? No one watches Sunday night baseball anymore. It's a terrible product to the point that ESPN sometimes when it has a conflict will bump it over to ESPN too because it's not a good product for them. And the best thing that Major League Baseball has going as far as announcers goes, I think even if they aren't as smart about baseball, but the re- the regionality – of at least you're watching your hometown. Yeah. Like, you know, you're a fan of the Nationals and you get to listen to the Nationals announcers. If you're a fan of the, the Pittsburgh Pirates, you listen to the Pirates announcers. It makes it much better. And honestly, I wish you could you could choose. To, they could just let those guys announce these games and you could choose who to listen to. I don't know how that would yeah. work, but it's 2023. We could figure it out because then you can listen. Because I think, and even again, I it's hard to, for me to stay unbiased, especially on nights like tonight, but like, even John Crook, who self-admittedly does not understand the analytics, he doesn't complain but he's about fun it. To listen to he jokingly yeah. will he will make jokes about not understanding it, be self-deprecating, yeah. and he'll ask questions to Tom McCarthy, who Tom McCarthy a lot of time will say I think or I've been told because he doesn't fully understand it. But he doesn't sit there and go ah vacuum sweeper. I don't know it's a sweeper. He even all year, or at least in the beginning when they started going to the pitch class, made fun of the fact that we were classifying it a different pitch name because it's so baseball to do that. It's ridiculous that like we we care so much, like I just said, about the name of a pitch. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna get in a fight about it. Like it's it, isn't so, that absurd? So it's so baseball. Like you said, it's just so indicative of the baseball community and how frustrating like it is such a beautiful sport, and luckily me and you have such a good – I think we have, like, the best perspective of it because we played at a level where we had to – you know, we were the the have-nots, and then we coached. And so we had this unbelievable experience of coaching in college where you could build these relationships, and now we do this, which is awesome, and we we have the opportunity to talk to incredible people all the time within the sport. So we see the good a lot of times in what the yeah, baseball community can be. Like, you know, like we sit down and it's like so funny. If anybody has it, like I'll just plug our pot. Like listen to the episode when we had Colton Lovelace on and tell me that analytics doesn't mean anything. Like (laughs) the dude is a superstar in the making and never played baseball and knows eight times more than I do about the game. And I don't – I didn't sit here and go, well, you never played. You don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or tell me that dude doesn't know ball. Like tell me that dude doesn't know ball. And again, he was hired by – five head coach. One day, exactly. And he worked for – he was valuable enough in his time at Oklahoma State that 
a holiday, right? We know the last name holiday and what that meant means. A holiday decided to be, make him a full time. And then, again, and then former big leaguer Kirk Sarlus goes Sarlus, and plucks him yeah. onto his staff. Exactly, I, and we're going to say these guys don't know ball, and even the same thing with Carter. It was like you yeah. know, like these guys know more about baseball than they, and they get it. They get the feel elements. They actually do a very good job of translating that. And again, and that's what I mean when I say like front office execs and player development types. They do more. They know more about the balance and the dichotomy of player development more than anybody gives them credit for. It's not just some some nerd punching in a stat sheet and saying, "Hey, Aaron Judge, you need to pull the ball." Like, well, that's not. That doesn't work. You know, it's the boogeyman, right? Like the people because you don't see their faces. They're not. They don't. You know, they're not the managers who are in the dugout. They're not the guys who trot out there every day. They're the. You just hear about these departments, and it's like the boogeyman for a lot of fans. And I get it. It can be frustrating if you don't understand it, but don't knock it if you don't know it. Like just because you don't understand it and it makes you feel inferior that you don't understand it doesn't like. It's just it's. I don't want to use the, the one phrase I'm thinking of here because it's 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 a hot button phrase, but like, oh, it's not manly enough, you know. Like that's how it comes yeah. off to me to a lot of people that complain, like, oh, we just grit and grind and feel, you know, <laughs> we chewed tobacco and used didn't mm-hmm. use batting gloves or wear an Evo shield. We leaned over the plate and took ninety seven in the ribs like men, even though it was probably eighty eight, like men, because that's how the game was. We moved runners and sacrificed for the good of the team. Because we were men and we were manly. And you you little nerds, we would have given you swirlies in middle school. And now you're going to tell me how to play the game? You know, I'm a man, I'm manly, and I did steroids? Like, I, I don't know. Like, no, that's true. miss me with and, that bullshit. <laughs> and I think the biggest thing in the conclusion for me is how clouded these guys' perception is of their – like, of baseball back then. It's the same way. Like, when I look back at, at 12 you me, like, you would have thought, like – I mean, we all thought, like, oh, that kid threw smoke. It's like then you watch from the outside and it's like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you get older and you actually see smoke. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, exactly. Like, you're, like, an adult. Like, and, and you, you do it when you're a parent, right? And you go watch, like, younger baseball. And when you get older and you watch, like, 8U baseball. And when you were in 8U baseball, it was like – it was the world. Right. And like that one kid who was really good and, and you were like, that kid's going to the big leagues. And then he just got addicted to drugs in high school and, and never even played varsity. Like, it's like, that's like a realistic drugs were the better option. That's like the realistic scenario. And these guys, they just are lucky enough to do it at a higher level that they just have this, his tainted view of what their career was. And again, I think it all ties back to it if they accepted reality similar to what you said about Greg Maddox, it would invalidate everything they accomplished in their career. Because if they admitted that pitchers weren't that good back then and, and the then pitchers didn't throw a hundred miles per hour, instead of just admitting that the radar guns weren't like in, in their mind, the radar guns weren't the same. Everybody threw the same. And, but even though since we've had track man and, and, and radar guns at every stadium, uh, average velocities have gone up significantly. Technology has yes. gotten better, but the radar guns are worse. Like, well, that's what's funny oh, about no, that. No, it's not. It's it's the it's the radar guns now track it out of the hand. The radar oh, guns right. back then used to track it when it crossed the plate. So that means that every pitcher back then threw just as hard as they did now. And again, that would invalidate the fact that you probably hit against your average Division Two arm. 
when you played in the big leagues. And like, I'm not saying that in like a negative way, but the reality is, is now every division 88 to 92 to 92 is common. Yeah. With probably less command than the big leaguers and and lesser breaking stuff. Yeah, exactly. And secondaries, but division one, Texas A&M put out a tweet a couple weeks ago. They have 13 guys on their staff that throw 95 plus. Again, it would invalidate everything you've accomplished as a baseball player in even as late as the 1990s, early 2000s, if you admitted, just quite frankly, that this was the best baseball has ever been. Here's my question, because I've never even thought about this too deeply because I've always just laughed it off. How hard do these people think Kyle Hendricks throws? 83? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, how yeah. hard do they think Kyle Hendricks throws? 83 miles an hour? But again, that doesn't come up in their thought process because it's only about the Jose Alvarado and his 99 well, mile per hour sinker. Like, it's and the like, Brent, well, and the Brent, well, I face, oh, I face this known, you know, Joe Smith from the, from the Brewers in 1987, and he definitely threw 100. I'm like, like, he threw as hard as Alvarado. Again, your perception of that time is so clouded and, and, because of the fact that it happened so long ago, and it, by admitting that, you would basically be saying, "I wasn't as good as I thought I was." Well, and again, and, that and would have to be an, a pill to swallow for guys that have too big of egos to do that. And then the one person, the, uh, the Brent Rooker, one of the arguments he got in with someone was, someone asked him or something. I don't even know. I just saw his tweet, and then I saw a response to it, of like, "What's harder to hit, ninety-seven down the middle or, or ninety-two on the corners?" And Brent Rooker was like, "I'm sorry to say this, but it's it's significantly easier to hit ninety-two on the corners." And people were like, "Ah!" People still argued with him, and it was yeah. just like, oh, and I think it was guy's either pitching, yeah, it's pitching ninja, or, pitching ninja, or codify. One of them did the numbers, and like people yeah. hit that, like big codify, leaders hit. Like I think I forget that was it two ninety-three on on ninety-two ninety-three on the corners, and like. 80 97 right down the middle and it's like <laughs> okay man you think so location and command and that's why it was so funny because those are the people who are like maddox how did maddox do it then and greg maddox is sitting here going like oh no well, they're way better and than even brent brent rooker had a great response to that in saying he goes Yes, Greg Maddox was able to be successful because he had elite sink and elite cut on his pitches. He said that's the difference is we're not talking about an elite sinker at 88 middle middle. We're ta- or on the edges. We're talking about stock fastball on the edges, average fastball 97 down the middle or average fastball 92 on the edges. It's a different conversation when you implement how much a pitch moves. So he had a great response to that even saying, well, yeah, Greg Maddox was a unicorn in the fact that he could sink the ball like no other. Not to mention the fact that what were the strikes? Like the the video that oh, came out Eric, of the Eric Greg, Greg Maddox. Yeah, Eric strikeout. Greg. And and the hitter didn't even argue. <laughs> yeah, guy got gifted like nowadays. We got Kevin Pillar <laughs> arguing when Jose Alvarado splits the corner of the, uh, the inside part of the plate with 99 acting like he stole Kevin Pillar's firstborn child. <laughs> you would have thought like Spencer Strider and company were so pissed at the umpire like the guy was blind. And the umpire made a phenomenal call, phenomenal call. And you go back as early as the early 2000s and watch some of the, the highlights from some of these gems, quote unquote, that guy's through. Yeah, that great Maddox game. They're getting six to eight inches off the outside <laughs> corner. The Indians got a World Series stolen from them. 
<laughs> that was it. That was game five or whatever. And they got the World Series stolen from them because they couldn't even like Greg Maddox is good. But when you put it in the other batter's box, he's really good. <laughs> you give him a you give him a pitch that's on the other side of the chalk. He is filthy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I. Yeah, it drives me. I, I don't even know what to say at this point. I don't. I mean, we're, we've turned this whole episode into this, which makes me feel better. Thank you. I was not in a good mood when we when we it's pressed a record. Session. Yeah, I needed it, but it's just like I. I there was another one I had thought of. Brought that to was you by BetterHelp. <laughs> that was completely ridiculous that I heard the other day from old school baseball. That was just like, what are you talking? I don't even remember what it was at this point, but it was like, what are you talking about? Like. You have no clue. Like, you sound so clueless. And I hate when people resume drop, too. Like, that's supposed to make me – Like, congratulations. You were like – Yeah, John Smoltz, you were a Hall of Famer. You were terrific. But that why does that mean you know anything about how to – anything about player development? Like, how many times have you seen good big leaguers fail as coaches? Barry Bonds wasn't a great hitting coach. Mark McGuire wasn't a great hitting coach. Uh, you know, Ryan Sandberg was a, a terrific – was a Hall of Famer wasn't a good manager like you see it all the time because a lot of times like you were so good that you don't understand how to coach people who don't have the same ability as you so yeah great John Smoltz you were a hall of famer and you were a terrific baseball player and even Jeff Francoeur you were a big leaguer like unbelievable baseball player top one percent in the world that doesn't mean that like you you know better than the people today like I apologize like I'll shout out another great guest we've had like Carlos Colazzo knows way more about baseball than you do, Jeff Francoeur. I'll That's bet true. my life savings on that. And Carlos would probably disagree because Carlos is such a good dude and very respectful. But Carlos Colazzo probably knows way more about baseball and player development than you ever will. Ben Brewster. Ben Brewster wasn't a very good player. Ben Brewster probably would be a, a, a fantastic pitching coach and knows way more than John Smoltz about pitching today. Way I mean, more. look at the, the Phillies pitching coach who's 35 years a 35 old. 35 year old failed big legger. Yeah. Like, He'd still be pitching guy, if he was any good. Yeah, exactly. And that's, again, that's where it would take a reflection on oneself to think, because there's an open-mindedness element. And this happened, like, this is something that's prevalent at all levels, whether it's John Smoltz, Smoltz talking or some, some washed-up D3 coach who just got out of playing. And these guys that still think that they could grab a bat or grab a ball and compete and play, they don't have an understanding and an open mindedness that maybe what worked for them might not work for another work for another individual. And I think that's the biggest thing is being able to sit there and say, like, I, you know, we talk about this all the time. You have to be a chameleon just because you thought something on the mound that worked for you on how to really, you know, throw enough strikes, right. Or how to get your ball to move a certain way. That doesn't mean that if I stepped on the mound and thought the same thing, it would even resonate in my brain or my body, right? And these guys that have had success, they do, like Barry Bonds, he kind of talked about it. He did a really good interview with CC Sabathia on R2C2. He's done interviews in the past um, where he kind of talks in detail about, you know, getting frustrated because like he knew what he was still like, he could have still gotten the box and hit. And it was very hard for him to rationalize when even guys as talented as Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, and Giancarlo Stanton couldn't execute what he was asking them to do, just basically getting frustrated. And even when he does these interviews, it's not like he goes, man, I was really wrong for not you know, trying to adapt. It was more of like, man, I know how to hit. And I was telling these guys that I know how to hit, and they weren't listening to me telling them how to hit. And it's like, again, there's a reason why 30 MLB team 
teams call Barry Bonds every offseason to see if he wants to be their hitting coach. They don't. They don't call John Smoltz to be the pitching coach. They don't. I know he makes a lot of money doing that, but nobody calls him to see if he wants to be their pitching coordinator. Nobody's calling A.J. Pruszynski. Trust me. If anything, A.J. Pruszynski moved his name down a lot of lists after this off, after this playoff run um, and, and his time on foul territory. Again, all of these things, they're not, they're not making these phone calls because even the baseball types, the quote-unquote baseball types, know they'd lose their job if they put these guys in, in a position to actually use their brain and use their knowledge because they would fail massively. And I'm not in the weeds enough. Is there is there anyone clamoring for like I formation and fullbacks back in football? Like that's what I like. I don't. That's what bothers yes. me so much about base. Is yes. there? There is some. There every fan base across all levels of college football and professional football yell at the TV to run the ball more when they're passing effectively, and then when they run the ball too much and they only get two three yards and the line <laughs> doesn't the hold, then they then they yell to throw the ball. Yes, it is. Yes, one hundred percent. There are people play that, calling. You know, like, I, I just get- want to. I want I, get, a, I want a little bit more of a of a tough football. There are definitely people. To me, out it's there less that, about play calling, like play to play, like that. Like I get that, and and I wouldn't know what the direct comparison. That that'd be like complaining about pitch. Like they throw too many sliders usage. or something. I'm asking, like, is anyone clamoring for like fullback eye formation, one receiver split wide, two tight ends, like just run it I up think the gut? I think there. I I think genuinely think there's people in the tri-state area that believe Tubby Raymond would run laps around Nick Saban. <laughs> like, I, I'm not kidding. Like, I 100%. 100%. Ah, I've seen, I've seen Tubby Raymond coach better games than this. Like, he would – if he had Alabama's talent, he'd be running the T formation all the way to the national championship year in, year out. Like, I 100%. Yes, there are. There are old now. They're probably close enough to their grave, and they probably fought in World War II level old. There's not enough men. It's Tubby transition. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I I would not do, be shocked. If like, there do, are do Georgia out there. Tech fans sit there and like want Paul Johnson and the triple option back? They should because that was the best that program. Like they actually have an argument for it to say the least. They actually won with the triple option. They're in such they a don't ba- no, they're in such bad shape because of all the undoing that now two head coaches have had to do because of how outdated that offense and team was. Because Paul Johnson, the last couple of years, was winning one game a year. Yeah, well, I, there's I just, definitely a, a, a level to it, but. Yeah, there's definitely some people that are arrogant enough to think. I don't think it's as common. I think there's enough smart people in football to understand, but there's definitely. I guess, people I, guess out I have there. seen some basketball people who still think that like Larry Bird could take LeBron to school, and it's like I yes, think every time. I think I think Larry Bird would try and drive on LeBron, hit his chest, and fall to the ground. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably break his wrist. Or Larry Bird like would that, have a, trying to would go finally up. get like a steal and a breakaway chance, and he'd hear LeBron's footsteps and get pinned on the backboard. Yeah, every time. <laughs> so, I mean, again, it just it just comes back to to the, what we talked about that this would invalidate their their careers. But I mean, that was that was a lot of fun you're, episode. You're going in. We got to get out of here. This is yeah. great. We didn't well, actually have I to mean, break was... down any of these games. I'm too emotional to do so. Anyhow, Phillies yeah, left too no, many I mean, men on base. The Braves capitalized. Uh, Dodgers uh, don't exactly. have any pitching. It's, it's the big swing, right? The big swing of the yeah. bat in, in yeah. the Phillies series. We talked about it. The Phillies uh, in the third inning. I thought I I was watching the game while I was cleaning up from dinner, and I was like, "Man, 
10 runners left on base in three innings there. Even when, even when they left the bases loaded and didn't capitalize. In the like, first. Yep. You don't well, you get got, opportunities you, you, like that very often. And you got to get that hit, one swing of the bat. Three hits and a walk in that first inning or four hits and a walk in that first inning and you get one yeah, run. Like, I mean, that's run. the story you told a couple episodes ago about, you know, you guys in regionals a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. We worked I mean, so hard for that one. Inning. And then, and it was great. Yeah. And it was good. I mean, they had. I mean, I to me, the two at bats. You had Bryce Harper up with with first and second in the fourth, and first and second in the sixth, and he didn't come through. And you can't always count on Harper, but those are huge momentum swings in the sixth. Yeah. You really felt it because then they got Real Muto with two outs, and that was kind of the tide turning. And and my analysis of the other series are the the Dodgers and Orioles don't have any pitching, which is what we talked about. I mean, the Orioles specifically, like they don't like. Everyone can cry and complain about the layoff, but the layoff didn't affect those Orioles guys throwing, you know, walking eleven dudes in that game. Eleven dudes on we'll Saturday and and or sun oh, Sunday, eleven guys yeah. on Sunday. And the Astros Twin Series looks like it's going to be a great series. And and you know, again, if the layoff affects people that much, and Jordan Alvarez is bar none the best player in MLB in the MLB because he yeah. has three homers in two games. I think the biggest conclusion for me is that the Twins got a shot at this. Oh, for sure. The tw- I mean, like, and we like this Twins roster, and they 100%. have the pitching depth to do it, and they have the offensive pieces to hit the big, big fly. Yep, I think the Twins have the the legs to do it. Texas obviously looks like they're in a great position to make a run at it. You know, Atlanta's here now. There was some some big boy baseball that they played today, and and coming back and and avoiding a Max Freed dud, um, and. Baseball's weird in the fact that you're probably getting Bryce Elder versus Aaron Nola and and very well Bryce Elder could go six shutout and you never know. Um, but it's it's gonna be one of those things that we'll keep an eye on. Definitely some good baseball. I'll ask you, what what are your thoughts, initial thoughts on the on the Harper play there at the end? Uh, unbelievable play by Michael Harris. That's that's the Bryce Harper you live with. I mean Bryce Harper was going to tie the game if that ball doesn't get caught. That was the only thing on his mind is I'm scoring and I'm tying the game. And Michael Harris made a great play. And Austin Riley, sneaky, don't forget the play that Austin Riley made because he's a third baseman who fields that ball in the infield in front of shortstop and makes a throw. So that that's my thought on the Harper thing. I mean, it's it's undisciplined and it's it's not the right read because you should – I would say standing on first base when he makes or standing on second base when he makes the catch, right? Um, and if he doesn't, then you either score, you still have a shot to score if he doesn't make that catch because of the carom, you never know. But um, which that is, is exactly what makes Bryce Harper the best base runner in baseball is exactly right. the mistake he made there, right? Um, and that's that's you see him make outs on the bases all year long. I mean, that's who he is, yeah. I think. My biggest complaint and gripe with it as I watched it was worst case scenario is what happened. Like on just if you just hang there three quarters of the way, runner on third, two, tying run with one out. Like every second team signs yeah. up for that. Second and, and, and third, two out. And not even three quarters. Like I think he could have had his foot on second base. Yeah. I mean, just be close enough where you can. Okay. Once you realize. It's just one of those, like you said, it's it's Bryce Harper. Also, Truist Park has an absolute jet stream to right center field. Yeah, you didn't think Real Muto got that, or Cassianos got that ball that well? Both. I didn't think Real Muto Real flushed Muto that, that, that well. I thought he, I he thought kinda, did. I thought he did. I mean, I thought he barely. He hit it. That thing, what that was, thing the, was like 
Oof. What was the exit velo on that? I don't know, but it was touched. Let me let me check he, the exit velo real quick for you. But definitely, and I know one hundred nine point two. So I mean, yeah, no, it was clobbered. It just looked like it had like it, an extra giddy up out there. Yeah, and then Cassiano. I mean, Cassiano's kind of has that natural like throw his hands at the baseball and and yeah, you end up getting a lot more. So you, yeah, only, you're right. you end up getting a lot more carry than it looks like, like because he kind of almost looked off balance with it on the outside. I thought it was lazy fly ball, and I was like, "Dang, that ball got close to getting out." It's like so. I was, I was like, "Dang, that jet stream out there!" It, it picked up both those, but um, yeah, we got a lot of good baseball coming ahead. Um, obviously, we're super excited. We'll be breaking those down once those series conclude or at least get closer to concluding over the next couple of days. Um, and then obviously, we'll, we'll get to preview in the NLCS. We needed this therapy session. Dan, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah, I think I've finally broken the wall and I'm just going to have to wear it. I'm going to be a little bit more of a fan on this podcast moving forward. And I apologize. I've held it together for 117 episodes, but tonight it broke me a little bit. I even got through the, them losing the Phillies losing the World Series last year. Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 I hope that's because okay we've, that. we've literally never gotten on here that close to a game ending. Well, and I think we did a couple times last year, but it was after Phillies wins. Probably. And it's just different when you come right from like literally right, even I was like more emotional about what had happened than yeah, my, normally would be. My um, blood was, and not to mention your group chats were probably blowing up. Tompers taking some heat for bringing Jeff Hoffman in to face the biggest inning of his of, or leave, uh, and of the season. Leaving Wheeler in was a big, big one, which like whatever. I mean, <laughs> Okay. Everybody loves bro. How many how many mulligans would it take to make a, an elite manager of any Philadelphia Phillies group chat? Well, you're seeing it in the NFL. I mean, I they, they, I don't I don't ever since the I mean, it's tough because the Philadelphia managers and head coaches get way too much criticism and way too much credit <laughs> as any passionate fan base does. But like ever since the start of last football season, I don't like even throughout the Super Bowl losses and some of the other losses, like there's not anything Nick Sirianni. And I think it's because Nick Sirianni really panders and embodies, I think, a lot of the fan base with like just how you watch him on the sidelines. So I think he gets a lot of he gets a longer longer leash. So I'm going to say whatever Nick Sirianni gets because he's right now is like the now if the Eagles like they like if the Eagles finish this season 10 and 7, I mean which would be collapse they would have to go 5 and 7. But if they did that then you would probably see a little bit more of it, but right now it's like that guy can do no wrong. Um but baseball where it's so easy to second guess how many mulligans? Like a full season. My main, worth? my main know. point of that is, is everybody loves to evaluate in hindsight. If Wheeler goes on and pitches nine shutout. Nobody would have said anything about being left in there too long. Well, and like it's, it's funny wish, to me because like left him in too a... long. He deleted Marcelo Zuno on three pitches. Like it wasn't exactly. look like and he was it... out of gas. Like he just he threw one bad slider that, like you said, Darno had a plan. It was up in the zone. He sat on it. He ambushed. That happened again. That's why me and you sit here and go and talk about the importance of the home run. The best pitchers can get clipped. The best pitchers can get clipped. The best pitchers can get clipped. 
Like, yeah, you need because... to win by the long ball. The Phillies didn't tonight. They got out homer 2-1. to one. They lost game 5-4 to four again. They had nine hits, six walks to the Braves, four hits and one walk, and lost a game 5-4. Like, that's – that. That is proof in the – like that – I don't know if there's a game that could be more proof. The Braves had zero hits through five innings. It was four to nothing. The, Ronald, again, I'm going to keep dunking on him because I was such a – I backed him in so many Phillies fans group chats for so long, but I can't do it anymore. He was near tears. He wasn't hot – like he could have gotten to a Nick Castiano single early in the game, but they were losing, so he hot-dogged it. Anyway, like you have them on the ropes and then the big fly and they're ignited. Like you know what I mean? So – that that was that game. Honestly, as much as it it stunk to be the fan of the losing side, me and you should like print that box score and tape it to our foreheads or something, because that's literally what me and you have been saying for ever on here. Yeah, but every time they post the record of of teams that out homer the other, you'll have somebody on the national broadcast find a way to implement the fact that two strike hitting is still more important, and putting the ball in play is still more important than the home run. Because that, that was the say news. something. Yeah, it I'm was getting, it was yeah. cool that the the Rangers talked about getting on top of more fastballs, but that was more of a plan of attack because of fastball shape and Ken Rosenthal isn't smart enough to to explain that to the everyday person. But because Grayson Rodriguez has a ton of hop on his fastball, it makes sense to get on top of it because you're going to have more success. But hey, what do you know? The, but thank the you biggest our listeners. Lesson, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say the <laughs> biggest lesson that Ken Rosenthal has ever taught anyone is that just because you wear a bow tie doesn't make you smart. He used to be so good too. He's been... He's he's, best, he's what's the best thing Rob Manfred's done as commissioner? Kick him off MLB Network, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> he used ahead, to be so. Good. I hope no one's listening at this point. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. As that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes twice weekly through the playoffs, always hitting your feet at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.